Well, everybody, Happy New Year. Yeah. And what a great way to begin the year looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Some of the most amazing teaching of Jesus. All of his teaching is amazing. But the Sermon on the Mount has the most, some of the most inspiring and challenging of his teaching. And in particular, the Beatitudes will be beginning mostly with those because obviously they're the first uh, section for the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews chapters 5, 6, and 7. And uh, we're going to be uh, calling our series Kingdom Come. And we're going to call it Kingdom Come because that's what Jesus uh, talked about in his prayer that he gives us in Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The heart of Jesus was for the kingdom to come. And he asked us to have the same heart that the kingdom would, be, would come so that the Father's will would be done on this earth, just like it's done in heaven. And so that's why we... We're calling it that, and the, the podcast series, the devotional series that accompanies this, the daily podcasts, are also called the Kingdom Cup podcast series. So as we get into this, I would like to ask you to a question at the beginning here. What's your best hopes for this series? As you think about, we're going to be teaching through, preaching through, talking about the Sermon on the Mount for two months. Every Friday that we're here, every Sunday sermon, when we're together here and in our locations, we'll be talking about, thinking about, preaching on, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. So you, as a group here, I think we're all familiar, at least with the general ideas of the Sermon on the Mount. So what would your best hopes be? What would, what would you hope could come out of this for you, perhaps for the church at large, but for you personally, what could come out of this that you think, I am really glad that we focused on the Sermon on the Mount for this uh, for this two months. Any thoughts? What would you think of? What would you hope for, Tim? I would hope for, I'll put down here, something to consider. I think to, uh, mm. <coughs> to give me some things to really sort of chew over and because they're so, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount is full of these incredible bits of wisdom. I'd like to really Focus on those and consider those. Mm, consider them more deeply, yeah. chew over them, meditate over them. Yeah, mm. Miko. I think it's, 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 it's the core, really the core teaching of the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a simple message to come through that leads to conviction. Mm. Leading to conviction. So it will deepen your convictions. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yes? What does it matter that we get right? What does yeah. it not matter yeah. whether we get right or not, right? It's the seek first of the kingdom kind of idea that's contained here. Good. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think for me, just the whole idea of seeking first the kingdom, for me personally, is you know, how can I invest more in the kingdom? How can I invest fully my everything? Not just, you know, have sort of snippets here and there. But completely as a whole, what does Jesus in, 
Thank you. I saw a hand, yes. And like for the first time, what do you um, stand on the mount with the perfectionist view? Mm. Beat myself up because I always feel like I can't be this person. Um, but to pick one thing that I'm going to work on. Mm. Oh, I like that. Amen. I mean, you know, I Jesus, like we'll, and we'll talk about that because Jesus does say, be perfect <laughs> in the Sermon on the Mount. So we need yeah. to talk about what that means, which we will. Um, so we'll get there, but that's great. You just, we need to take just even one thing would be good, wouldn't it? Yes, Michael. That's a great point, because a lot of what Jesus is dealing with, and we'll come to this, when he's talking about the law, and not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away and all that, but he, what he's trying to get at when he says, there's the law, and you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's trying to help his hearers understand the heart of God behind the teachings, whether it's Old Covenant or New Covenant. So, super. Okay, we'll move on, but thank you for that. I would encourage us to... Think and pray over what we are hoping we will draw out of this series because it's not that that is a straitjacket for what you'll learn or get from it, but it, it helps us to think a bit about what God may do and to pray over that and then maybe write it down. There's something about writing things down, even if it is tapping it into your computer or whatever, that helps us to think more clearly. So perhaps you might want to do that. Now, let me, I should also just for a moment explain your handouts. Uh, you do have on the first page the schedule of the classes. The second page is uh, the handout that we'll be doing tonight. We'll be going through that second page tonight. The third and fourth pieces of paper are my original uh, lesson plan for what I was going to cover. But if you look at those pages, you'll see there's rather a lot of material. And so rather than try and cover all that, I've decided to give that to you as notes for your own Bible study, and you can use that as you find helpful. Okay, so that's, that's notes on the bits that we won't have time to cover. But the second page is our handout for this evening, and that's what we will be looking at uh, tonight. So let's still talk a little bit about background, background to the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. So two parts tonight. First, a bit of background of the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. And secondly, the first Beatitude, Matthew 5, verse 3. First of all, um, background and Old Testament continuity and contrast. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, we see some continuity between the Old Testament teachings, the Old Covenant, and the New, and what Jesus is proclaiming here. For example, in the... Uh, Gospel of Matthew as a whole, we have what many people see as five teaching blocks. Jesus has five um, opportunities, you could say, or they're recorded for him doing significant amounts of teaching. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest, but as well as this, we have chapter 10, chapter 13, chapter 18, and chapters 23, 24, and 25, extended blocks of teaching. And many people would say, we see this pattern of five a lot in the Gospel of Matthew, which reminds us of the Pentateuch. 
the five books of the law. And so Matthew seems to be deliberately um, hinting at or paralleling in some ways the, the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the teaching of the law, uh, presenting Jesus as this new Moses, which we'll talk more about um, in a moment. It, uh, in those teaching blocks, which I think the references are on your handout, each time he comes to the end of it, Jesus says something like, and then when Jesus had come to the end of these sayings, or when he'd finished these sayings, he moved on, he did other things. He was active, doing things rather than just, if you like, teaching. So we see these five blocks a lot throughout Matthew's Gospel. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5 verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus himself saw some continuity between the Old Covenant and what he's teaching here. It's not like there's a, there's a sharp division and there's no connection between the two. So we do have continuity, but we also have some contrast, some parallels and contrast, you could say. So Moses might be the example here. Many people say that as we see Jesus here in the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, we see, uh, we see some similarities with Moses. Um, there are also, though, differences. If you think about Sinai, uh, Exodus 19, Exodus 20, when the Israelites have left Egypt, they're at the foot of Sinai, and Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God and brings the law down. We see some similarities but some differences. There's a mountain in both situations. But whereas God's representative goes up the mountain to speak with God on their own, in this situation, it's, it's, it's the human Jesus that goes up on the mountain to speak to God's people. Instead of God speaking through thunder on the mountain, we have a human voice in Jesus speaking God's words to God's people. Um, instead of the people being told to stay away from the mountain, and I think they all agreed that they would be happy to stay away from the mountain, if you approach it, you know, you will die, it's on fire and thunder. I mean, it, you've got to think about this, it's a bit like a volcano. It says the smoke rose from the mountain. I mean, you, when, the, when a mountain starts erupting, the last thing you're thinking about is going towards it. Uh, you're going to get as far away as possible. So there was a distance there between God and his people. But in this case, we have, we have, we have a closeness. We have, we have the people being told to draw near to Jesus, the Lord, as he's in the act of teaching. So we see some parallels, but some differences. We also, of course, know that Jesus came out of Egypt, because he had his childhood there, right? As Moses and the people came out of Egypt. Um, they both passed through water, you could say. The people with Moses and Jesus in chapter 3 has just been baptized. So he's been through water. The, the Israelites and Moses came through the wilderness of the desert. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 has just spent time in the wilderness with the wild animals. Oh, they're coming to the promised land. Moses never got into the promised land, but he took the people to the promised land. And of course Jesus is teaching whilst in the promised land. And whereas Mo, and Moses brought a covenant to God's people, and now Jesus is bringing a new covenant to God's people. So parallels and contrasts. Now, one of the things I think is important to say is that Jesus is not bringing a new law. He's bringing a new covenant, which is very different from the old law. So there are some parallels with Moses, but there are some differences. It's, a, it's an interesting Bible study, perhaps, to look back at Exodus and Moses and the people, and then to look at what's happening here and do a contrast and a comparison between the two. You might find that a fruitful Bible study for yourself. I think it's very interesting. Matthew 5, verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you. So here is Jesus saying, well, you've heard that, and that was fine, but 
I have something else to add to this, or it, perhaps you could say explain it, or describe it more fully, or as Obi was talking about, uh, bringing us God's heart behind those instructions and what they're really all about, and then how we can how we can then live them ourselves. So we have some uh, continuity and we have some contrast. What about the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? So I have a question for you. What are your impressions of the Sermon on the Mount? When somebody says, let's, let's read the Sermon on the Mount, let's talk about it, let's teach on it, let's do a Bible study on it, then what, do you, what's the, what comes to your mind when you think about the Sermon on the Mount? What stands out to you? Marlon. <laughs> am I going to match up here? Yeah, oh, there's that and then there's me, right. How am I going to match up? Yeah, okay. What other thoughts? Kind of like a list of characteristics of people in God's kingdom. A list of characteristics of people in God's kingdom. Mm. Yes, in particular the Beatitudes, but yes. Yeah. I think um, for me the sense of inspiration because... Um, um, it, it kind of speaks of how awesome Jesus is. So yes. uh, there wouldn't be new teaching, typically, you know. So rabbis or whatever wouldn't add anything. No. no, it just wouldn't happen. So it'd just be repeated. But Jesus is actually giving new teaching, and I still feel it's new pretty much when I read it. Mm -hmm. I've read it a lot of times. We've, we've read it many times, but there's something fresh in there if we pay attention to it. Yes. Good. Anybody else? Mika. I think once you get um, through the beauty of it's, it's, it, the, the, the second part is, is actually very practical. Mm -hmm. And actually, in a way, you don't have to be perfect to do that. Jesus says that you don't have to worry. You pray, mm -hmm. and you ask, and you be given. Hmm. Pretty good. Thank you. Yes. more to become. So it's who I am becoming. Yes. It's who you, if you're a Christian, in a sense, it's who you already are, but are becoming more of. Yeah. Might be a, a good way uh, to, to look at it, I think. Um, some of the um, main ways in which people have looked at the Sermon on the Mount is, for example, as a description of the ethics of the kingdom. It's one way of looking at it. That it's a statement of the ideals of the kingdom. This is how the kingdom should be, could be. Some have said it's a bit like a, uh, it's the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever gave us. This is what he's setting, his setting stall out there saying, follow me and this is what you will experience. This is what you will get. This is what will happen. Um, some say that it's a description of discipleship, mm -hmm. that becoming a disciple means this is how you end up living how you end up thinking, how you end up treating other people, how you end up viewing God, the kind of relationship you have with God. Some would say it's an elaboration of the old covenant, but actually this is how it was meant to be, always meant, was pointing towards this. Some say, say they are standards for the kingdom. I think there's validity in all of those descriptions. I think that they've all got something. But I think the key verse might be this verse in the whole of the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 6 8 do not be like them 
Now, do not be like them. The, the key um, groups I think Jesus has in mind for the do not be like them are who? What would you say? Who is he thinking of? Don't be like Pharisees. Pharisees. Well, yes, hypocrites is the word that comes up a fair bit in the Sermon on the Mount. So hypocrites, but also another group. Yeah, there'll be some warnings about their behavior. Yeah. Another group? More like us? Pagans. Okay, heathens, pagans. So primarily, don't be, don't be like the hypocrites and don't be like the pagans. Now we're going to explore that as we go through yeah. the Sermon on the Mount. But it does seem to be, don't be like them, be like this. Be like what it means to follow me. Be like a disciple. It seems to remind us of Leviticus 18. Don't do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. Don't do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. So don't follow false religions. Don't follow the false way uh, to live. Uh, be, be different. And of course, we are, are primarily talking about the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus urged his followers, he, he asked them to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think there's something to the fact that this is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. What's called the Lord's Prayer and the teaching about that in chapter 6 is pretty much bang in the middle of the whole thing. And in some ways perhaps everything flows backwards out from that incredible uh, prayer. And the heart of that prayer I think is perhaps this phrase. Because this is what Jesus came to bring. He came to usher in the kingdom, to explain the kingdom, to uh, express the kingdom, to live the kingdom, to call people into the kingdom and to be kingdom people together with him, empowered by him. So this seems to be the heart of the kingdom. Now, uh, I would like to talk more about the kingdom. We may have to feed that in a bit as we go through the class series. But the kingdom is such a key thing. I would suggest if you don't feel like you understand the kingdom very well, it'd be good to go and study that. We did a series on the kingdom in October 2018, I seem to remember. Um, a year and a bit ago, so you might want to go back and look at the podcasts or the YouTube videos from that series on the kingdom and maybe help as a refresher for what's going on here. So the kingdom, um, just to emphasize that point with the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude talks about the kingdom and the last Beatitude talks about the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that those bookend all the Beatitudes. And so it seems that it's all about the kingdom. This is called an inclusio in theological language, something that Jewish writers often did where they would, they would bracket something that was meaningful within a repeated phrase or, or, or word. So the kingdom is, really is what it is all about. The kingdom is populated by those who mourn, who are meek, who hunger, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, and find that they are comforted, inherit the earth, filled and shown mercy, and they will see God and are the children of God. It's about the kingdom, is what it's really all about. Now, I already talked a bit about the background. Let's talk about this uh, one beatitude today. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? Well, we need to talk about the word blessed first of all. The word blessed is unfortunate really because it's just these days just pretty much a religious word. Yeah. We don't tend to say to one another, how's your day? Oh, I've had a very blessed day. Unless you're very religious. Uh, you wouldn't say that to your work colleagues like, and that kind of thing or the dustman. So um, 
we've got to think about some other words. Now, the word, Greek word is makarios, which um, some people have said, well, these are, the Beatitudes are makarisms, to use that word in a more literal sense. Uh, N.T. Wright translates blessed as wonderful news. I rather like that, because Jesus is coming to bring good news, the good news of the kingdom. And so you could read these as um, uh, blessed are, or no, sorry, wonderful news for the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you put wonderful news in, in front of each of them, it's, it's a lovely phrase. I, I really like that. Um, it, the word makarios means to approve of and to find approval. They are qualities to be envied and emulated. They make up what Dallas Willard, a writer I like, called the good life. I don't know if he originated the term, but I've heard him use it a lot, the good life. Not, not this, the, the 70s sitcom that some of us of a certain age will remember. Uh, I watched a special about it over Christmas. Uh, not that, and not, not the good life like everything's nice and rosy and easy, but the good life as in this, this is the way we were designed to live. We are designed for this life. It's a good life, a life full of goodness. One writer said, um, the deep, it's the deep inner joy of those who have long awaited the salvation promised by God and who now begin to experience, now begin to experience its fulfillment. The makarioi are the deeply or supremely happy. Now that's happy not in a subjective sense, but there's a deep, there's a settled depth of contentment and joy that the makarioi have, those who have been blessed to be part of the kingdom. Uh, and he Wright also says this, these blessings, the wonderful news that he's announcing, are not saying, try hard to live like this. <laughs> I, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you've tried, you'll know it's not only hard, it's impossible. They are saying that people who, are, who already are like that are in good shape. They should be happy and celebrate. We celebrate because we are already living it. Yes, there's further fulfillment to come, but we can celebrate whilst being poor in spirit, whilst growing in meekness, whilst growing in mercifulness, whilst growing in purity of spirit, whilst growing in in being a peacemaker, we can celebrate and live happily in that sense. So let me ask you this, about this first beatitude. In what way are we in, uh, enjoying the wonderful news if we're poor in spirit? Let's think about being poor in spirit for a minute. And by poor in spirit, Luke's, Luke's version says the poor, not the poor in spirit. But a Jewish person, when they heard the poor, would have thought of the poor in spirit, the oppressed. So not necessarily the material poor. It would include that, but not be exclusively the materially poor. So those in need of God's help in every sense. So in what way are we blessed if we're poor in spirit? Because it sounds like we should be rich because we're Christians, right? We have the Holy Spirit. So in what way might we be blessed to be poor in spirit? We recognise our need for God. We recognise the need. Okay. Yes. I think we also appreciate um, what we have. We appreciate it, yeah. Yes. We've become grateful. Mm. Yes, okay. Harry? I remember um, when we went to the pool, just seeing simplicity, right. you know, and, and feeling, <clears throat> oh my goodness, they haven't got this, they haven't got that, they've got rainwater, you know, but seeing smiles on their faces, 
from just simple little things. Um, seeing us, they used to queue up to see us every morning. Oh, yeah. We used to get there at 8am, school started at night. All the children were in there before we were, oh. just to see us. Go on, sorry. But the simplicity. Simplicity. Simple one. I don't want to sound, uh, make this too simplistic, but if they were not poor, they would not have had the joy of what you just described. Mm. I, I can the right. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Obi. So the idea that comes to mind for me is, I think it's Deuteronomy 8, so when the Israelites had left Egypt and, and they had nothing in the desert and, and God says, but, but I humbled you so that, I, in a sense, I could then bless you with the manner and resources that right. you knew nothing about. Yes. So being poor in spirit, we get to a place where we're no longer relying on what we can see, and then we get yeah. to access more God's resources that, yeah. yes. that we never even known about. Yeah. Um, we don't know about, we can actually not even barely imagine. Yeah. How could the Israelites have imagined walking through on dry land? Mm. It wouldn't have even been a, a possibility of imagination in their mind. Mm. Yes, unless they were poor in a sense, and needy and dependent on God. I, I think it's something for us to think about, because I think this is, I think, I, I, I imagine that for, for a number of people, this is maybe one of the Beatitudes that doesn't kind of make all that much sense, as in, why am I happy, or why is it wonderful news that it's good to be poor in spirit, and then there, and I, I can inherit the kingdom. So we maybe need to think about that. A couple of other scriptures, I think they're relevant to this, in Matthew 11. Jesus said that he was the one to, uh, to make sure that the blind received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers, lepers cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead raised. He came to bring this good news to the poor, not just the material poor, but the poor in a general sense. And he's quoting there uh, uh, and alluding to Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and so on, release from darkness for prisoners. Here's the thing is, if we're going to get filled with the right thing, we've got to first empty the bucket. Yeah. And there's something about having a full bucket that means you don't have room for God. Mm, yeah. And this is the danger of Western civilization for a lot of us. Yeah. Right? Maybe this isn't the danger in Nepal, they have other challenges. Yeah. But for us, the danger is that our buckets are full. Mm. They're full of all kinds of nice things. And they don't necessarily mean evil things. They're just nice things. They're good things, right? But then where's God? Yeah. And we feel that dryness and that Funnily enough, we're kind of full, but we're kind of feeling empty at the same time. And I feel this from time to time, that I have all the blessings I could possibly imagine. I mean, I have a wonderful wife, I have two kids, I, have, I live, live in a nice place, I have a warm home, I have enough money to, to be okay for a while if for some reason I couldn't work, and I, I have a home, I have a car, I have a good education, I have, I mean, we could stand here all night, all of us, and until we wrote such a long list, it, it'd be amazing, right? Yeah. And yet we can be not full of what matters mm -hmm. and so part of what it means to be poor in spirit is to consciously empty ourselves mm -hmm. this goes yeah. back to your point about simplicity i think was it anna yeah. we've we got to fight for that simplicity so that god can be mm -hmm. it is he who fills us rather than we try to uh, fill ourselves yeah. and we can think of probably a lot of biblical people who show us what it means to be poor in spirit um got some ideas who can you think of biblically who was poor in spirit and it was a good thing? Think of some ideas, some people. Ready? David? Yeah, David running away from Saul. That was pretty tough, yeah? Levi or Matthew himself. Matthew himself who left his tax collecting 
job, right, yeah. Do you have a hand back there? Um, the tax collector in this example of the um, Pharisee and the tax collector prayer. Okay, Luke 18, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. Sorry? A bleeding lady who was, who was poor but found what she needed from Jesus, yeah. Job. Job, interesting, yeah. He became poor, didn't he? In, in many different senses, actually, in that situation. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, good example. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, the rich young man struggled with that. Yeah. The contrast. So, um, let's move on. We need to wrap up in a second here. How do we cultivate being poor in spirit? Well, it's on the slide. I think it may be on your handout. But I would suggest... A key way to be poor in spirit is to look at God himself. That's what uh, Lloyd-Jones said in his book that I read, uh, read again recently. The way to become poor in spirit is to look at God. Spend time with him. One of, the, one of the reasons we need what we call a quiet time, whatever you want to call it, that focused devotional time with God, is we need, we need to be reminded of what really matters we need to be reminded of the things that clog our lives that don't matter and then put them to one side. And I was feeling stressed even at lunchtime today and I went out to pray. And it was amazing just to walk out and pray for a few minutes outdoors how suddenly things came into perspective. If the lesson stinks tonight, it's okay because it's the Bible and we'll, it's the Bible, right? So talk about the things, what's the point of being anxious about the things that God can deal with, right? And God can deal with everything. There's no reason for me not to live in a state of peace. There's no reason for me to live in a state of anxiety, which we'll talk about in Matthew chapter 6 more. But we've got all we need. Yeah. We've got all that we need, and we're reminded of that when we spend time looking at the face of God. Yeah. Reading his word, praying, devoting ourselves. That helps us to be poor in spirit. Not because we think, oh, God's awesome and I'm terrible, I'm nothing. But more, it's more to do with the fact that Actually, I really have a lot of needs, but God is adequate. And therefore, I am, in a sense, wealthy. So for us to think about tonight and for the weekend might be, how can we apply this beatitude personally? How can we apply it even tomorrow? You've got Saturday coming. How could you apply being poor in spirit tomorrow what would that mean what would that look like we're not going to discuss that now because we're out of time but i'd like to encourage us to perhaps in the fellowship talk about that what does it mean how does it what does it look like to live poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven what a wonderful blessing what a wonderful promise it is a challenge but it's a healthy challenge because mm -hmm. god only ever has our best interests at heart and he knows that when we're poor in spirit, then we truly are the makarioi, we are the blessed, we are the ones inheriting, enjoying the good news, the wonderful news mm. of the kingdom. So can I leave that with us to think about, pray about, talk about? And we'll come back on Sunday when Obi's going to be preaching on the next beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. So Obi's going to make us all mourn, um, and uh, then he's going to comfort us. Something like that. And then we'll go on to the next Beatitude uh, next Friday. Thanks very much, everybody. Okay. Have a good evening. Okay. Okay.